and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Sunday evening. Uh, we're joined for, this is something that we do every year. Uh, usually it's done in um, November, uh, but we're a little off this year. Um, the Our small sample size theater that Andrew Hahn uh, named it years ago, where we look early in the season, we look at small sample sizes and try to see what's most interesting and whether we think they're going to last or not. Um, uh, and the, the mainstays for this podcast, uh, and then at the end of the year, we do large sample size theater. How about that? We look forward to that. Um, and uh, my mainstays for this uh, event annually are from Seattle, Washington, is Kevin the Machine Pelton. Hello, Kevin. Are you ready for small sample size theater 2021? It's always one of my favorites, and I look forward to using the term regression to the mean as many times as possible. Uh, sounds fantastic. I, how many t- I don't know how many times you've typed that over the years or said it. Um, and then joining us from Los Angeles is Kevin Arnovitz. Uh, we have to use last names on this podcast. We got two, two Kevins. Um, Mr. Arnovitz, welcome. Thanks. So this we have an we have a, a great golden opportunity to have an extreme small sample size because the brand new Brooklyn Nets have played one single game against Orlando Magic, and uh, they won. They looked great on offense and okay on defense. Um, James Harden had triple double. He he has those. James Harden had a lot of turnovers. He sometimes has games like that. And Kevin Durant uh, scored forty points and made a lot of shots. He's done that for more than a decade. Um, so um, Arnovitz. Um, I have seen over my years covering the NBA that after a trade, especially after a star player, there's a lot of excitement that happens early on. And uh, especially when it's a super team coming together, there is a undeniable honeymoon phase that exists. Some of the honeymoon phases last for one game. Some of them last for a month. Some of them last uh, for a year. I don't know what this is going to be, but there was definitely good feelings. Harden was smiling and happy. Durant was smiling and happy. what did you take away from that game? And is there anything that you think that is relevant from that first performance? I mean, I don't mean this to be a cop-out. This is, as you said, the ultimate small size sample theater, um, small sample size theater. Uh, I, I mean, I have the same questions as everybody. Um, obviously, Harden is now motivated. I do think there's something about you know the, the cultural fit people are concerned about. I, I think it's a place when you're not the incumbent, other people can say, that bleep won't fly here, right? And so any concern about cultural detriment, like I'm not really buying it. I'm not saying that he is the the, the model worker or teammate, but I, I just don't think anything in Houston is necessarily going to translate specifically to Brooklyn. Uh, I'm My questions are the usual questions. How conditioned will Harden be in the playoffs? That has been an issue. Um, defense, is that a real, real concern? Because I, I think that's one of the more interesting debates in basketball is – Oh, this team is only ranked 14th in defensive efficiency. Can that kind of team really win? And LeBron's teams were notorious for this, right? And then you flip the switch, and it turns out, you know what? When people need to defend, they can defend. Kevin Durant's a really good defender. Um, creative teams can hide bad defenders, uh, especially you know when everything kind of tightens up in the playoffs. So I'm concerned about their defense. On the other hand, I've seen this movie before when I picked the Hawks over the Cavs because in that 2015 conference finals, because the Cavs were only an average defensive team and no team ranked X could ever. uh, And you know what? And I think in the modern NBA, that is only a marginal concern, not a big one. Well, that 2015 playoffs, the Cavs had the greatest three-point shooting uh, series of NBA history to that point. So, you know, I don't know what would have happened in that playoffs um, uh, had that not happened, but uh their offense was as good as it was. We wasn't the entire LeBron return to Cleveland those four years in that series. So, in fairness, I'll you know I'll just point that out. Um, Pelton, you know one of the things about this game is that, and this is really kind of the modern NBA. In this particular game, uh, the Nets went 16 of 35 on three pointers, 46. Um, percent um, And granted, you know part of that is because they had you know, tremendous offensive firepower and it's difficult to defend their guys. And, um, you know, Landry Shamit, who's been struggling, you know, got a, got a couple, uh, Joe Harris, who kind of goes hot and cold, got a couple, um, Durant was hot. You know, it's very hard for me to judge a team on a night where they're just red hot on three point shooting. Um, 
I want to see a night actually when they're cold on three-point shooting to better judge them. But, um, uh, you know, this is a team that, uh, to me, has three shining bright stars and a whole bunch of role players that I don't know whether they can trust. And that's what a lot of this season is going to be as we watch that develop. But how do you see it? Uh, the main thing I was watching on Saturday was just sort of how they were going to share the ball and how they were going to play stylistically. And, you know, that's something that, again, it's a small sample size, but we can look at quantifying. Uh, Harden had the ball about twice as often in terms of time and possession on Saturday as Durant. 43% of the time he was on the court, 23% for Durant. Seems like that'll likely continue and that you know, that we'll see Durant take advantage of a lot of off-ball actions and try to utilize his uh, the threat he presents that way. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Kyrie is in this mix too because, you know, already we saw both guys' average time of possession was down for Durant. It had been 3.8 seconds per touch this season, according to NBA Advanced Stats. That was 3.0 on Saturday. And Harden's was at 4.8 which is much higher, but you go back to last season in Houston when he was completely dominating the ball, he averaged 6.1 seconds per touch. So it's definitely going to require some willingness for Harden to play a different role, especially when we get Kyrie back in the mix. Yeah, um, and it's also going to be a challenge for Steve Nash to figure out how to blend them Um uh, not to mention how to, you know, how to defend. And, you know, they've got some work to do. They have three roster spots open and, um, you know, they're going to need, they're going to need some help at center um, for sure. Um, you know, maybe not every night, but there's going to be certain nights where I think that they're going to need it. And, you know, even in this game, Nikola Vucevic, who, by the way, is having a spectacular year. He is really, really playing well. Uh, anybody out there who's got a fantasy team, if you pick Nick Vucevic on it, um, you did well because he had a terrific game. And I would expect this to be, uh, more the norm, uh, the center uh, is going to is going to do well against the Nets, um, especially in the short term. Here, DeAndre Jordan just is not the player he used to be. Um, so, but you know they have um, they have roster spots and, and centers who get bought out um, are going to want to go there. I don't know what sort of trade uh, value that they have left on their roster. They um, they did sh- you know I talked to two different teams that the Nets offered Landry Shamit to. Um, in the last week, attempting to get a first-round pick, they were um, they were trying to keep Jared Allen, as you can imagine. And uh, so, the, to, to get the fourth first-round pick, they were trying to find a team that would give them anything. And so, they shopped Landry Shamit uh, pretty hard, from what I understand. I mean, I talked to two teams that just mentioned it in passing. I didn't do a uh, an entire uh, sweep of the league, but my guess is they offered him to numerous teams trying to get that first-round pick. And that just shows you, there's you know. Now maybe Landry gets hot here, playing alongside all these stars. Um, if that's a guy that they deem movable, um, uh, you know, maybe that changes. But I just don't see a lot of um, of assets on the roster, and of course they have no no first round picks they can trade. So um, that'll be interesting to watch. But um, you know, certainly they're gonna. You know, I was just reading about how high their ratings were for the first game in New York. Um, uh, I suspect that they're going to be a team people are going to want to watch play. And uh, I don't blame them. Um, all right. So I wanted to go over a couple of guys who are shooting it red hot and a couple of guys who are shooting it uh, not so hot. Um, so uh, Paul George and, and the, the Clippers are playing right now, or at least they're going to be playing shortly. So these numbers that we're going over won't be, you know, exactly 100% accurate to this second. But Paul George is having a just a spectacular shooting season. And, um, you know, which is interesting coming off of the, uh, the bubble where, you know, famously hit the side of the backboard in the, uh, in the elimination game. Uh, he is shooting 50. What I can't even see my writing here. 52% on three pointers um, and eight attempts per game. Uh, that is just red hot. Awesome. Uh, basketball. <laughs> um and, uh, you know, overall, he's shooting lower on two-pointers than he is on threes. Um, obviously, I don't think he's finishing the season shooting 52%. But Kevin Pelton, this is always something he's been working on. Uh, he's, he's become a higher in volume and better three-point shooter as his career is going on. It is definitely the role they want him to play uh, with the Clippers. Can Paul George keep up this type of high-end shooting uh, as the season goes along? 
Well, as you said, no. I mean, un- inevitably, he's going to regress to the mean from beyond the arc to some extent. But this is a good reminder that this is more who Paul George is than that guy we saw in last year's playoffs when he he looked lost a lot of the time and talked about the mental challenges of playing in the bubble. Uh, this is actually the eighth stretch in his career where he shot better than 50% from three over a uh, 12-game period. So you know, it's it's something he's done before, but not necessarily at this volume. This is the most threes he's made of those times. Yeah, the stats are interesting because uh, so there's this second spectrum has this stat, which is the difference in f- effective field goal percentage uh, of the player versus the quality of shots, taking into account that player's abilities. Paul George is number two in the league and sort of outperforming his diet of shots. Chris Boucher, by the way, is number one. So yeah, obviously the guy is going to regress in the means, but he's also the guy who finished third in the MVP voting a couple of years ago. I mean, I think, I, I think there was some schadenfreude with the Clippers. I think there was a certain joy, certain people enjoyed kind of watching that crash and burn. Um, there's some rubbernecking. As you said, there's always this sort of one spectacular failure. And of course, it was the side of the backboard, as you said, Brian. And I think people along the way forgot this is a really good ball player who is healthy. Right. And that, that was the other thing. And and it always sounds like one is making excuses, but it's just a fact. I mean, this guy is a top was a top five player uh, before sort of various moves and injuries and, and turmoil. And I, I don't think it's going to be a surprise if he finishes again in MVP voting, though he does have to kind of share uh, shots with with Kawhi. Yeah, he's uh, he's sort of. Uh, <laughs> it was a nice training camp story, and, it, and it's and it's a it's a nice training camp story that's developing. Um, uh, as he you know, he came back and said, "I've got to have an MVP." I don't remember the exact quote. Don't hold me to the exact quote. I've got to have an MVP level season. I got to play like an MVP, or or no, I actually think what it was. I got to get back to my. Here's what he said. I got to get back to the way I played in my MVP season <laughs> where people were like, uh, were you an MVP? You know, but he did, you're right. He did finish third one year. Um, and, uh, and he's doing it, but I would, I would just advise him, you know, he is a player who throughout his career has been a streaky player. Um, although his shooting has gotten more steady, but it's still been erratic. And he's also a guy who plays emotionally. Um, and so I would just say for Paul, somebody, somebody who I've tracked, you know, over the years, you know, extensively covered a lot of playoff series with Paul George, um, you know, being there on site, talking to him at high points, talking to him at low points. He should moderate that and uh, and and try to avoid the ups and downs. Uh, but obviously he's playing great. I, I um, you know, the Clippers are we're going to talk about the Clippers defense in a little while. Um, they're not playing great basketball in my view. Um, they're still working on a lot of things, but they are getting wins. Um, you know, the Lakers are sort of setting the standard. And one of the reasons they're getting wins is because Paul George is out there hitting shots. He has won them games. And so if a big contribution that he has in this regular season is, is shooting the ball this way early on as they try to smooth things out, figure out their the new roles on their teams. They've had some guys um, out of the lineup, uh, Marcus Morris just hasn't really gotten uh, any you know, traction at all um, in tonight's game. They're missing a couple of couple of key players, in fact, and Patrick Beverly is not with personal reasons. If that's what he's, if that's what this hot, sh- hot shooting start does, then you know it's worth it. The other guy who I think is just absolutely, uh, but you know, uh, the point that you're making about uh, expected shooting percentage, I think. Regress to the mean, right, Pelton? Regress to the mean. Uh, um, the other guy who has just been amazing shooting the ball early on is a most improved player candidate, um, in my view, and that's Jalen Brown, uh, who's having just an amazing start to the season for the Boston Celtics, who, by the way, um, came into today with the best record in the East, got slapped by the Knicks on their home court today. But... Um, one of the reasons is because Jalen Brown has been so amazing and his shooting has just been whew, um, 54% overall, uh, 42% on threes on six threes a game. Uh, so he's not, he's, he's letting it go. Um, he's even shooting a career high from the line. He jumped eight percentage points from the line, averaging 26 points a game. 
uh, overall, which is six more than he did last year. Now, granted, Kemba Walker has been out. He just came back. Uh, Gordon Hayward uh, obviously left. The, the team has changed. They need more scoring from him. But Arnovitz, his efficiency level has been amazing. This is his fifth NBA season. We do see players take steps forward like this at this point here his career in their careers. But normally, we see shooting jumps like this a little earlier, especially for players like this. Um, is Jalen Brown um, all of a sudden a, a real uh, 50, 40, 80 candidate? I mean, look, I don't, I don't know if the stats are there, but I think in terms of small sample size theater, is this guy making a leap? And yeah, he is. He's a fascinating player because he's generally a guy who's not gotten his offense in the flow of the game. Or he's gotten his offense in the flow of the game, right? Like he's not a guy they, they call his number a lot. He's big, he's strong, he's long, he's athletic. He is the physical embodiment of what you want in a ball player in, in 2020. And he's smart. And so what I see is the game kind of, starting to just slow down for him. He's starting to understanding the pace. He's like, he's you like one of the cool things is he's sort of becoming Kawhi-ish in the sense that, Hey, I don't always have to blow by a guy to get a bucket. You know, I can use my strength. I can use my physicality. I can make better decisions. And I, I just think that was sort of one of his weak points is I thought he was a great decision maker. It wasn't that he was a bad passer. It just, you know, whether it was the threes off the dribble or, or missing a guy, um, there there were instances of that you saw in his in his earlier years. And I just think right now, watching him go from, hey, he'll get his points wherever he gets his points, and building on that to become this prolific, I'm just a big Jalen Brown fan. And I, I just love what he's doing. Uh, and, and he's exactly kind of what they need in, in the framework of that offense, too. Yeah, I've talked about maybe there's... Um... Or three or four guys in the whole league, I would trade Jalen Brown for because he was, he was mentioned, um, you know, loosely because the Celtics had a conversation or two with the, with the Rockets, and he was mentioned loosely in um, as a possibility of a of a trade target for Houston, and I was like, I wouldn't trade him for James Harden, you know, I trade him for Luka Doncic, I trade him for Giannis, um, you know, you know, some something like you know that level. I, I wouldn't trade him for James Harden, uh, Pelton, because. Um, we haven't even talked about how important he is defensively. I mean, one of the things about this new Nets um, three-headed monster, you know, the Celtics are actually, I mean, the standard would be very high. You'd have to play at a very high level, but the Celtics have three players who you could put on those three guys, Tatum, Marcus Smart, and Jalen Brown, and have a fighting chance. You could switch them and do things. Now, look, even J- even Jason Tatum, as good as he is and as long as he is, I mean, Kevin Durant's going to score on you. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that you're going to put Tatum on him and that's going to do it. But they have a interesting personnel grouping that uh, they can do some stuff, and Jalen Brown is the linchpin of that. But you look at the way he's playing, um, he's definitely taken a step forward. Is this small sample size theater, Pelton, or do you think this is something with traction? Yeah, I think this is going to be the case where I, where I played Debbie Downer on his Oh, no. Yeah. And similar to the Paul George thing, it's been very important because it's helped them survive this period where they've been out without uh, Kemba Walker to start the season. Obviously, Tatum has missed a a couple of games here after reportedly testing positive for COVID-19. And yet Boston, as you said, was still first in the East coming into today. So that's exciting. But, you know, Kevin mentioned earlier the second spectrum shot quality measure, quantified shot quality that's based on what the average shooter would shoot on the type of attempts you're getting his has decreased almost 4% this season in terms of the effective field goal percentage you'd expect. And instead of going down because he's taking those more difficult shots and taking a lot more off the dribble with Kemba Walker out, his effective field goal percentage has gone up four and a half percent. And a big reason for that is he is shooting 63% on two point jumpers outside the paint, which is best uh, among players in the league with at least 25 attempts. Malcolm Brogdon is next at 57%. It's the best in the NBA Advanced Data Stats database since it started in 1997 uh-huh. and 98. I don't like this. <laughs> and, I, don't, I don't like this, Arnold. <laughs> oh, you're raining on my parade. I, I just I was so triumphant. This is a player I like. I, I mean, now the, the thing here is just because it's going to regress to the mean doesn't mean he's going to necessarily go back to where he was. But last year he was at 42%. And the only person who's ever (laughs) shot better than 57% on two-point jumpers outside the paint on at least 49 shot attempts. Let's guess. Let's let's guess. Let's guess. 
Yeah, Give us like a little hint, like year. Uh, 2012-13. Is it Mr. Kevin Durant? It is not. Ooh. Go ahead. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not going to be good at it. It's a former teammate of his, Steph Curry. Oh, that makes sense. Mm. Well, that was a leap. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, the other thing, so those represent almost a quarter of his shot attempts this season, up from 11% last season. And then he's also way up in terms of his above-the-break three-point shooting, so the ones that are outside the corners. Uh, last two years, he was at 34% on those. This year, he's at 40%. So I, I now, I do think he has improved as a shooter. His free-throw percentage is also up to a career-high mark. But again, it's probably not going to be as hot as we've seen so far. Hmm. Well, that's why we have you on here, Pelton. Um, uh, but I still say, I mean, I still say uh, Boston is an intriguing potential matchup uh, for Brooklyn. Uh, Kimball Walker comes back today, by the way, and he gave an interesting interview after the game where he was talking about how he had basically been in pain in his knee for a year and that every time he would do a step back or go to plan on that knee that uh, it hurt and which uh, totally uh, – puts a new light on how he played in the bubble because he played in the bubble really well. And he had a couple of step back threes, you know, his classic where he just sticks his foot in the ground and bounces back to create the space. Um, You know, he said he's been hurting for a year and, you know, that's worrisome on several levels. Obviously he was playing through injury. Um, He didn't have surgery though. So, but it also makes you get all nervous about the future. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Ranger.com or just stop by. Now, let's look at a couple of guys who are going the other direction whose numbers, star players, whose numbers have precipitously dropped early on this season. The first guy I want to talk about is Trey Young. Now, the, the, the Hawks got off to a, um, a good start to the season. They were 3-0, and um, uh, looking good with their new lineup, um, and they've hit a real rough patch. Uh, Gallo got hurt, which Gallo gets hurt. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, went out with a fractured knee. Still don't know what that is going to be. So they're two two of their biggest uh, additions um, uh, are out. Then Chris Dunn, an indication he could be out much of the regular season. One of their key defensive signings. Um, Rondo's been out too. Am I right, Arnovitz? Um, yeah, he's been in and out. Uh, they just they've been beset by injuries, but also. Yeah. Trey Young is not playing well. Uh, there was a sto- was also a story in the Athletic about some potential internal team drama, um, but I'm going to put that aside for now. Trey Young is is his three point shooting has sort of fallen off a cliff. Um, you know he had a he had a big bad miss late in the game last night, and then he also ran over Damian Lillard um, at a game in Portland. So he had a bad finish last night, and you know I'm I'm not going to worry about that game. They're on the West Coast right now. They're taking some losses, but. Um, you know, they're, they're, let's see where they are in the standings. They are, uh, fading. Yeah. They're, they're, couple they're games, down. Couple games below 500. Yeah. They, they've, uh, you know, like I said they started out three and zero, and now they're five and seven. So they're, you know, they're two and seven, their last nine. Um, but the number that's, uh, I want to talk about Arnovitz is, uh, three point shooting. He's uh, shooting 27% on threes so far this year. Um, that's a 9% drop from last year. And, 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 and I don't know if this is more worrisome or not, but his volume is way down. He's taking uh, you know, almost four less a game. And I don't know if that's because, you know, he's got more weapons and he wants to distribute the ball a little bit more, um, but his assists are down. So um, you know, this is a guy who lives on a three-point shot. Obviously, he's going to have games where he's hot or cold. 
last year, by the way, he shot 36% on threes. So it wasn't, he wasn't at Steph Curry levels, but um, this is, this is worrisome because his shooting affects the way he plays the rest of the game and they need him to be great. His, his scoring also is down, but again, not that much of a surprise. His scoring should be down with the new weapons, but his, his scoring is down six points a game. So Arnovitz, what do we, what do we take from this? Uh, and, and what do we think is going to happen? Uh, so it, when you kind of look at the raw stats, he is one of these guys who's well underperformed the quality of the shot um, in his particular shots. Uh, that said, I, I think he's figuring things out. And I know that's sort of a cliche in the, in the context of evaluating players, but, um, you know, I, there was talk early on, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to have all these ball handlers and now he can play off the ball a little bit. And, uh, you know, the way Steph does, and that's always been the comp, though I think it's an unfair one. And, you know, he can, he can, he is a guy who could spot up and, and that can take some of the pressure off. The thing is, is I love the ball in his hands because I think he's also a tremendous passer. Um, but I, I, I think I, and I do, by the way, I do think that sort of static, I think it matters. And it's not a coincidence that his worst game came after sort of the report of the static. And there's a lot of pressure this year. I mean, Lloyd I like here, that term static. You like that's, static? That's, not, that's not a term I've heard before for, for, you know, Soap opera interteam drama. I, I I like that. There's you some keep stuff. Going. I, I, li- I like I like that you like it. Thank you. And you know, I mean, Lloyd Pierce last March said, "Hey, next year we need to make the playoffs." And you know, I I think that there's just an incredible responsibility in him. He is the best passer on the team. He is you know allegedly or, or at least theoretically the best shooter on the team. Though Collins historically has been better and. Um, I think they're kind of figuring out how they want to play. I also think from a half court standpoint, you know, building off that pick and roll, uh, you know, now he's got sort of a, you know, he's got a guy who can catch lobs. Um, you know, where does Collins go? How does he get his shot? There's a lot of things on Trey Young's to-do list. And as a result, I, I just think there are a lot of hiccups right now. Um, Pelton probably can speak more to, you know, in terms of shot quality and whether or not this is a guy can recede like this. Um, but, you know, I think it's a little small sample size theater. I also think he's got to figure a lot of things out very quickly. Pelton. I get to be more optimistic on this one oh, because, okay. you know, people think of regression to the mean is it's always a negative, but sometimes it means you're performing worse than you used no, to. Progression to the mean. Yep. Okay. Uh, in, in Young's case, we've we've kind of been here before because if you remember back to his rookie season, he was really struggling to make threes at the start of that when he first came into the league. And there was a lot of chatter at that point about, you know, he's going to be better as a passer than as a shooter in the NBA, despite the, the Steph comparisons. And then all of a sudden he turned things around. He was shooting 28% or he's shooting 27.5% at the end of December 2019. He shot 35% from three the rest of that season, then the 36% last year, like like you mentioned. And I I don't know if where his true level is. It's maybe a little bit in between those because he's taking such difficult shots. And and I probably would like him to take a few less of the 35 footers off the dribble because as much <laughs> as those can stretch a defense, right. he's not Damian Lillard on those shots at this point. So right. I'm I'm reasonably optimistic on the Hawks in general. Obviously, the issue injuries are a challenge for them, but you know they've outscored opponents on the season so far. I think they've had a little bit un, of unfortunate luck to be out of the playoff standings right now. Well, they've got a lot of time, and he's got a lot of time, and he's one of these guys who could score, you know, forty-eight at any night. Um, he's still somebody you want to keep an eye on, but um, you know, just you know, he got a signature shoe. He's got his team. You know, uh, you know, finally built. Uh, you know, I'm sure he was looking for a really great start to the season. And um, as Arnovitz mentioned, he can kind of get into his head a little bit. So you know, it can go the other way pretty quickly. But they need better performance from Trey Young. I don't think that's a hot take. Um, speaking of stars, uh, let's talk a little bit about Giannis. Um, Giannis's numbers are very good overall. He's got, uh, you know. St- Terrific numbers. His rebounding's down a little bit. Um, the Bucks, after a uh, a bit of an erratic start, have rounded into form. I still think their depth is an issue, and it will be as we watch the season go along. But um, Drew Holiday is playing well. Middleton's had a few good games. They took over the num the lead from um, uh, in the East to the uh, all important mid January standings. But they are now in first in the East after Boston's loss today. Uh, but his free throw shooting, guys, his free throw shooting, 
uh, is worrisome. It is plummeted. It is at 58%. He had a, he was already shaky, and then he went one of 10, one of 10 against Dallas um, over the weekend. Uh, they have a big game uh, Monday night uh, against the Nets, so that'll be uh, fun to watch, I hope. Um, Giannis's free throw percentage has gotten dangerously worse over the last five years. Um, back in 2016-17, which was his first year where he ex- – we already knew he was going to be – we already were excited about him as a prospect, but that was the year where he sort of arrived, made his first all-star team that year. Um, he shot 77% at the line. Um, and you know, better than league average two years ago, 73% the line, you know, you'd like it to be a little higher, but still pretty good last year, 63%. And now Pelton 58. Now granted, he's only played, um, in, uh, let's see how many games has he played. I believe nine. He's only played nine games. Well, it's more than that. I think anyway, he's not played that many games. So you go one for 10, it's going to yank it down even more, but he was already at 61%. Um, coming into that, and then he has a one for ten, which is historically bad. Um, it's hard to shoot ten percent from the line. It's hard because uh, you have to get there at least ten times to do it. Um, so Pelton, I, I mean, this has got to come up. But also, you know, his his the rest of his shoot, his three point shooting is not improving. So now you have a, you know, if it doesn't get better, you see one of these things where you let him shoot a three, and if he comes even a foot inside the lane, you tackle him. So the good news here, yeah, he has actually played 12 games. I, I forget who I was mixing him up with. But, uh, you know, I went back and looked through his 12-game samples over the course of his career in terms of free throw shooting. And one thing I didn't remember is he had even worse stretches than this around last December during the midst of his second MVP season. It probably didn't get noticed because that was about when they were beating the Lakers and, you know, confirming themselves seemingly as a, a Tier 1 team. So I, I don't know that it's encouraging that, Giannis has been at this. Oh, no, he's been you know, horrible from the line before. Don't worry, everybody. Right, right. This level that he's been hovering uh, around the last two seasons where, you know, it's been around 60% after being up in the 70s beforehand. That's definitely not where you want to see him, you know, especially as many free throws as he shoots. And you worry that it does become a mental issue at some point. Uh, that was the worst free throw shooting on more than five attempts in a game in his career when he went one for 10 the other night. But I don't think it indicates necessarily that he's doomed the rest of the season because he did have stretches last year before the stoppage of play where he was up again in the 70s. You follow the Bucks closely, Arnovitz. Um, I'm sure no one's really worried, but I'm also sure they're kind of watching with one eye. Yeah, I mean... I never know what to make of of sort of free throw struggles. I mean, LeBron has done has changed up his routine. I mean, I think our uh, our friend Tom Haberstow has done a great piece once on on all the different the entire taxonomy of LeBron's techniques. And um, you know, Blake Griffin's an interesting example, a guy who just really struggled and then all of a sudden became extremely proficient at the line. You never know what it is. I, I don't. He works incessantly. Giannis does. Um, that said, there might be something fundamentally full of this technique. I mean, the three-point shooting question is more interesting to me. Um, when does he take them? Should he take them? Um, do they mind him taking it? And, and I think it's very much a time or score thing. You know, what's his rhythm like? How is he playing? Um, are they putting up a wall against you to the point where that's the only shot you can get off? Um, you know, if they're denying him, you know, at, at the nail or, 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 you know, showing you a crowd, then I think there's an understanding that, look, this is something he needs to work on. Uh, he wants to become a proficient three-point shooter. You know, get above the Mendoza line. Pelton, what's the Mendoza line these days? 35? Good question. What's the Mendoza line? Wait, for free throws? No, three-point shooting. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the uh, league average is around 36 and a half. So I'd say, it's, wow. I'd say it's higher than that. I think you probably got to be above 33. Um, do you think our listeners know what the Mendoza line is? <laughs> the Mendoza Troy. line... Troy, our producer. Let's see if our if our producer Troy knows what the Mendoza line is. I think the Mendoza line in baseball is two hundred. Okay, okay. I mean, he works for the uh, entertainment sports programming network. I mean, his standard is going to be a little higher. Um, okay, fine. Maybe it's thirty. 
I, no, I, no, no, no. I think it's going to be pretty bad to hit 200. I think like it's 33, and that's a nice round number too. That's like an EFG. I would have, I would have just thrown 33. I see 30 because 33 means it's 50 percent on twos. That's that's the baseline that you want to see. Right. You know, you know, if you're if you're not shooting 33 percent on threes, you probably shouldn't be taking that many of them. But of course, if you're Giannis, you know he's taken, he's taken. You know, last year he took 4.7 threes a game. And shot thirty point four percent this year in twelve games. He's taking four point nine threes a game and shooting thirty point five percent. That is, you know, two uh, th- uh, three years ago he shot thirty point seven percent, and then he had a year where he shot twenty six percent. But he looks like he's about a thirty percent free th- a three point shooter. I mean, he's, you know, he's eight years or he's what seven or eight years into his career now. I mean, obviously they hope that's going to improve, but you know, that is below the the old Mendoza line. Hey, so. I got a question, Pelton. When does a team, at what point would a team employ a hack of Giannis? Given how good he is downhill. You definitely have to be confident that he's below 60%. But yeah, it is a different, you know, it's a different math for someone like him or like the original namesake, hack a shack shack, because of the fact that those, those players are so dominant that partially you're doing it you know, to try to keep them from being as good as they normally are, as opposed to, you know, someone where you're doing it for purely strategic reasons. Like when DeAndre Jordan was, was hacked as frequently as he was like, if like he was always a case where if you could get close to him, it was because he was about to dunk it and you should foul him. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, uh, it's going to get better. I, I assume it's going to get better. And I, and I appreciate you finding that, that period in the last year where he, was you know the bucks were flying high and he was not shooting as well, but um, it is a little bit of a of a nervy number when you see a guy who's that high usage who's got a five in front of his uh, his free throw shooting uh, spots. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is, all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. One thing that I think, even if you're a casual observer of the NBA, um, you maybe have noticed so far this season is, um, is the blowouts. We've seen a lot of blowouts. Um, and particularly we've seen a lot of blowouts by teams on their home court. Yeah, just had another one today, Celtics uh, getting blown out at home by the Knicks, who had a five-game losing streak. Um, Dallas also lost lopsidedly to uh, Chicago at home. Part of that, I do think, is the lack of the home crowd. Um, It's kind of hard to defend your home court, make your run to get back in the game when you don't have the crowd supporting you. Uh, Just in general, I think that the the lack of crowd, even on the road, I think contributes to teams, um, uh, you know, with that. But um, Pelton, overall, home court advantage has been depressed in this, you know, mostly fanless uh, situation. Small sample size theater. Give us a look at what you think that what we should take from that. Yeah, the interesting thing is, I think home court advantage is probably still settling. Uh, it had got after being below fifty percent in terms of winning percentage for home teams for a long period of time. On Saturday night, they went five and one, and that got them up to five hundred for the season, which went back below that with the uh, the two that's, home. That's just crazy. That's just crazy, by the way. Under yeah. home teams being under five hundred. 
And the home blowouts are a, a big part of that, as you mentioned. Uh, there have already been 20 home losses by 20 points or more this season. The most in a single season in NBA history is 2018-19 when there was 84. That's the only time there's been more than 65. So we're already, you know, more than uh, more than a quarter to the second highest season in NBA history. And most teams have played about 12 games. So you'd be, you know, a little bit more than a seventh through a typical 82 game schedule if we were playing that. So, you know, I, I do think that it's very possible that we're going to find eventually that when this does settle, that there's some home court advantage for teams, even without fans in the arena, but it's definitely con confirming the research that was out there that the, the driving force in home court advantage is, you know, it's not about travel. It's not about familiarity with the home court or any of those other factors that it's been attributed to. It's primarily about the effect that fans have. And specifically, it seems to largely be about the effect that fans have on refereeing. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Can we? That like was, that it, was Arnovitz's commentary. Hmm. <laughs> so, so I mean, this is what I would uh, devil's advocate, and it's a geek one. Can we correlate decibels in arena with home performance above? Kind of expectation. Tell me, tell like, me get out your computer question. and get the decibel numbers. <laughs> no, but that, that's that's why I'm skeptical of of the the sheer noise. Though I do think home crowds in general, like obviously, are huge. I mean, it's interesting because there aren't necessarily like the teams that have stronger, more rabid home court home crowds don't necessarily have stronger home court advantage. The only teams we see that really have consistently strong home court advantage in the NBA are the teams that play at altitude, which which definitely is a factor in home court above and beyond that. But, you know, I, we do also see it go up from the regular season to the playoffs, which is also, I think, consistent with that idea that, you know, the crowds are louder. There's probably relatively more home fans as opposed to in the regular season, especially in the StubHub era. You know, this, uh, I, well, wh whoever's sponsoring us era, uh, <laughs> where, you, where there's a lot of road fans there. And we have seen home court advantage on the decline over time, but certainly nothing like we're seeing this year. Uh, another theory I have is, is, is small is guys aren't going out on the road. It, it, in fact, Pelton, didn't it, again, I'm mentioning Haberstow for the second time, he did a great piece on sort of, at a certain point, the gap is starting to narrow. Um, and both he and I talked to a bunch of people for that story that suggested that the sort of advent of the app was keeping, we're, we're making people's, um, making players uh, hunt for extracurricular activity much more efficient. Um, and therefore, nights that would have been what, six what, hours. What, what was the story? The tinderization of the NBA? Tinderization of the NBA. One of yeah. the great stories ever written about the NBA. Um, and, you know. You'll have to look for it. You just bring it in, right? Yeah. it's. And now you're not even bringing it in. Right? N not this week. Uh, it, right. it is amusing <laughs> that. The, all these, a lot of these home blowouts that we've seen have been home teams playing the matinees. You know, traditionally it was the idea that oh, you play an afternoon game in New right. York or in Miami, and you know the other team's going to have the South Beach flu. But now it's the home teams that have struggled in all these early games. The Clippers, that game where they were trailing by fifty at halftime, was one of these you know noon or one o'clock starts, much like that that Boston uh, New York game today. Right. Well, I argued that um, the pandemic uh, killed the South Beach flu. So um, uh, I don't have I really don't know. You know, this is one of those things that's so new and so unexplainable. I guess I just have to watch. I I cannot believe it will continue. But we are in such an antiseptic scenario. And, um, you know, let's just be honest, guys. I mean, the uh, the covid infection rate in the contact. We just had another game canceled uh, Sunday today. Oklahoma City, um, uh, Philly was canceled today. And, uh, you know, the teams were warming up when the cancellation happened. And it had to do with a positive, uh, I don't know if it's a positive, but I think it's a positive test in Memphis from the night before. You know, I don't even know what the status of, of games is going to be going forward um, in terms of like whether they're going to be played in home arenas or if they're going to be regionalized or whatever. So uh, we may just have to take this year and just throw that number aside. Um, it's early in the fourth quarter right now, you know, in Denver. Um, Nikola Jokic is having another fantastic game. He's on the bench right now, and his team's losing to the Jazz. He's got 27, 11, and 6 through three quarters. Um, Nikola Jokic is absolutely an MVP candidate to this point. He's playing spectacular basketball. More importantly, 
He is averaging 10.4 assists per game. He is leading the NBA in assists here coming into the day. Um, obviously has always been a tremendous passer. One of already, I think we can say, um, one of the greatest passing uh, big men uh, we've ever seen in the game. Has there been a – do you guys know off the top of your head? I should have looked this up before the pod. Has there been a center since Will Chamberlain to lead the league in assists? No. I can't no, imagine. Definitely not. Yeah. Um, so – his just to put it in context, last year he averaged seven assists. Two years ago, seven point three, which was his career high. Um, you know, this is his thirteenth game. Uh, Pelton, can Nikola Jokic lead the NBA in assists? And if he does, is that not a pretty strong pillar in an MVP candidate uh, uh, case? Well, we've seen historically the value that uh, averaging a triple-double can have in the MVP debate. So it's, it's it would help him a lot if he could maintain that. And I I think there's some chance. I mean, he is benefiting so far from the fact that te- his teammates are shooting really, really hot off his passes. Uh, historically, if you look at the second spectrum tracking data, his teammates have an effective field goals percentage between 58% and 61% on potential assists from Jokic. So far this season... That's gone up to 67%. So a few more of those passes are turning into assists than were in the past. But his potential assists are also up about 24% on a per possession basis. So, you know, even if that comes back to earth a little bit, I think he can still be, you know, close to double figures. So he's, you know, he obviously lost the weight. And the, the losing of the weight could mean he's just fresher in games and he can move a little bit better. So you see... He is averaging a career high 24.2 points a game. Um, he's shooting uh, 57%. Um, his, his rebounding is up from 10 a game to 11 a game. These are things you can attribute to maybe being more mobile and having better stamina with the weight loss, Arnovitz. But does weight loss help you make better passes? I, I mean, um, I, because that's an interesting thought. I don't know. I just know that when you watch Denver, how much offense materializes from him. And I'm not even talking about, oh, they have him at the high post and he does what sort of passing bigs do. The pass aheads off rebounds, he's great at it. The dribble handoff game with Murray, they get a ton of offense out of that. He's a guy who actually loves passing out of double teams. Like when they when that second body comes, he will pass. He Not only will he pass, he will pass to the person invariably with the highest percentage attempt. And it's just kind of what they do. He is the fulcrum of the offense. You know, they don't have a pure point, though the many teams don't now. And they count on him to create, you know, and, and I think that is just sort of the manifestation. I mean, look, I think everybody is, you know, you know, I, I think players generally when they're better conditioned can just do more. I think they're less tired. Um, errors come from being tired. Uh, you know, passes that are one inch off a pocket come from being tired often. So I think in terms of just being better conditioned, yeah, it helps. But it just fundamentally, it's just what they do offensively. It is it is the Jokic show with with Murray also just kind of you know being the other catalyst. But but the so much comes through him. I don't remember if I, I don't know if it was on this podcast or if it was just in a private conversation because I just have so many of them. But I remember being asked before the year if I thought Jokic was a MVP candidate, and I said, well, I think he's. A candidate. He was on my ballot last year, but I don't know if he puts up the numbers to do it because he's not a guy who's averaged more than 20 points and his numbers are good, but you know, they're good, but they're not like, wow, look at these like Giannis level numbers. As Pelton mentioned, he's averaging a triple double. I don't know if it'll last, but <laughs> his numbers are there right now. Okay. I mean, it's uh, odd that the biggest challenge he has right now is his team's record, which, right. you know, they're right. only at 500. I, I'm a little surprised by the way LeBron isn't getting more MVP talk because he he's right there in terms of the value stats with Jokic, with CJ McCollum, who's off to a great start. And the Lakers are 11 and three. It feels like he should be the, the clear favorite right well, now, shouldn't I he? I mean, you know, LeBron, the MVP is a whole nother six podcasts. Um, we'll, we'll save that for later. Yes, LeBron is LeBron, the Lakers. If the season ended this exact moment, uh, LeBron would have an extraordinarily very compelling case. Uh, and not only that, he doesn't even look like he's he's working that hard. You know, I, there was this whole thought that like, well, maybe LeBron will ease into the season. I mean, he's playing great, but he doesn't have the throttle wide open. And it's because they've, with their more ball handling, they've taken some work off his plate and, uh, 
he looks like he's he's doing great, working less hard than he did last year, which is a good thing for him to good place for him to be. Um, Clippers came into tonight. They're playing the Pacers later on. The game has not started yet. Arnovitz, the Clippers came in tonight at twenty uh, fifth in the league in defense. For all we talk about the Nets and how can they be a championship team where their defense might be, it is the Clippers whose defense has been unacceptable. Now, they are still winning games. They are second in the Western Conference. Um, this is a team that is uh, supposedly good on defense. The The swap out from, from Montrez Harrell to Serge Ibaka was supposed to be defensive-based. <laughs> um and yet they have not performed well defensively uh, at all. Uh, some of the ends of, you know, they've blown some games late where they just cannot get a stop. At least one or two games were, or maybe they've even hung on. I, I can't remember. Maybe I saw they, they hung on to a game, but they've not been able to get stops. This is a team that's built to defend. Uh, what gives? You know, in some ways, it was prophetic of what people told me early in the season. And it is that Ty Lue coaches for the playoffs. And to the extent That's that they true. are trying, so they are trying everything. They are doing stuff that when you watch, you're like, what the hell are they doing? And the answer is trial and error. Now, I, I think they've struggled. I think it's been rotten. I, 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 there are just nights where I don't get it. But I do see a team that is throwing everything against the wall. They're going to take these next five months, figure out what's work. I mean, hell, they were they were blitzing the other night. Like they, they've, they've switched one through five. They switched one through four. They've... Um, you know, they're, they're trying everything, but I, I do think this is the ultimate small sample size theater. I just don't, I can't comprehend a team whose major producers are Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, who has, you know, Pat Beverly on the ball often, a pretty versatile defender, not a great, but good defender in Marcus Morris. You know, Serge is still, you know, he causes trouble in the middle. I don't think he's nearly the defender he was, you know, sort of four or five years ago, but I, I just don't see them finishing 25th. Um, you know, and but I do explain it kind of by just watching them. They have not committed themselves to a distinct coverage scheme yet. Their coverage scheme is going to come as they sort of trial and error. It's going to be refined. They will be an interesting team to watch the def- defensive efficiency month by month because I do think as they weed out bad ideas, um, they are going to get much better. Remember the secret defense, Pelton. <laughs> Where Ty Lue, like one year with the Cavs, he was like, you know, we've got a secret defense that we're not going to show until the playoffs. I don't remember what he did do something in the play. I can't remember what it was. What was the scheme? I I I have to. I can't remember. You know, I, all those seasons run together. I I think it might have been might have been just straight switching. I I don't I don't remember what it was. But um, uh, I mean, this this seems like an easy one, pal. It seems like they have to get better. Yeah, and they're also benefiting, or not benefiting, they're benefiting some great shooting on offense where they're making all their threes led by Paul George. But on the other end, other teams are hitting a lot of two-point jumpers against them, uh, 47% on shots outside the paint that are twos, which is the fourth highest mark in the league. So their shot profile is not terribly different than it was last season, and the the opponent effective field goal percentage they're giving up has been much worse, and that's the kind of thing that does tend to even out pretty quickly. All right, well, this has been Small Sample Size Theater. Thank you to Mr. Pelton and Mr. Arnovitz. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, I can't wait until we get to Large Sample Size Theater and we say, remember we talked about Small Sample Size Theater? Uh, I just hope that when we get to Large Sample Size Theater, all of us are vaccinated. How about that for a goal? Um, all right, thank you very much for uh, breaking it all down for us, and um, we will talk to you uh, in a few days. Mm-hmm.